It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Wizards podcast. Ben Standick here talking to you guys after a Wizards win. They did do the back-to-back winning situation. They beat the Phoenix Suns 109-99, outscored Phoenix 24-15 in the in the fourth quarter after, you know, basically letting the Suns stay around far longer than they should. But nonetheless, the Wizards did finish them off. I'm going to talk about Three things I thought about this game that stood out to me, plus the folks at ESPN had an article today about four potential DeAndre Jordan trades. One of them involved the Wizards earlier today, not sure because I wasn't sure how late, how much time I would have post-game. Earlier today, I went and talked to myself for a while and broke down all aspects of this DeAndre Jordan trade rumor, all aspects of this obsession about DeAndre Jordan for the Wizards and 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 all that. So I will play that after I get through this game recap. Now, of course, you can find all of the podcasts on iTunes or anywhere else you do your podcasting. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Ben Standig. And if you've got thoughts, eat questions, email me at bstandig1 at gmail.com. Just even if you just email me just to say, hey, how you doing today? That's cool. That's down. I'm down with that. Um, you know, I care about you guys. I'd like to know you guys are alive, too, when you, when you email me, you know. Let's me know that you're all cool. Um, all right. So, as I said, I'll get to the DeAndre Jordan part after some thoughts here. First, let's just go through the, the, the basic game recap. Bradley Beal, he, he had 51 points at Portland. Follows it up. Nope, he doesn't quite get the 51, but he got 34. He had 22 in the first half, finishes with 34. Pretty efficient, 13 for 22 from the field. Only one of five from deep. But got to the line nine times, made seven, had four assists, and zero turnovers in 37 minutes, considering how much he's handling the ball right now. Again, there's a difference between, difference between handling the ball and playing point guard. He is uh, not doing uh, that so much anymore uh, these, these last couple games. Although, to be honest, I wasn't completely tracking every second of this game in that respect. But, I mean, it seemed like I saw... Frazier Sadoransky on the court uh, most of the time, but I don't know. I'm looking at the minutes. Sadoransky played 22, Frazier played 21, so it was a five-minute gap somewhere in there where somebody was playing point guard. In any event, um, Bradley Beal r- r- remained in attack mode, uh, and that was good to see. Also in attack mode tonight, Markeith Morris, 21 points. Six rebounds. He is eight of twelve from the field. Hit two threes. All hit three. Three of his. He went three for three from the free throw line. You know, look. Uh, 
he, he, you could tell early on with him, and maybe that's where we're at with Marquise Morris. What you get in the first quarter is what you're going to get. He looked like a guy who, you know, who, who had some extra, uh, extra in the tank tonight. Now, you know, you can kind of understand where the motivation might be going up against his old team, the team that basically, you know, threw him on, threw him away, threw him under the bus, whatever you want to say. Uh, and he, he got at them early with 21 points. Now the Suns were the, the more active team in the early minutes of the game. And let's note, of course, Phoenix, it's, it's one of the, it's three straight games for the Wizards where the other teams, if not best player, you know, one of their best couple players is out. So no, no Devin Booker for Phoenix. Like there will be no Blake Griffin Saturday for the Clippers. Like there will be no D'Angelo Russell for the, uh, for the Nets when the Wizards go, uh, back to the East Coast beginning of next week. Um, of course though, this was TJ Warren who had that monster 40 plus point game against the Wizards the last time these two teams met when the Wizards got off to a good start and then roared back. Or, I'm sorry. And then the Suns roared back to, to, uh, to, to win. TJ Warren had 23 points, nine of 20 from the field. And, you know, he was one of the active guys early on. Rookie Josh Jackson had a, had a nice putback. Uh, their point guard Tyler Eulis, a little water buggy kind of guy. He, uh, he was moving the ball. Greg Monroe, the former Hoya, six of seven from the field. But ultimately, the Wizards got the better end. Uh, they shot 50.6% from the field. Phoenix wasn't bad at 46.2. Um, the Wizards also eight for 21 from three. Phoenix seven for 23. But otherwise, the stats, you know, not, 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 not some, not huge differences. The Wizards did a good job turning Phoenix's uh, 13 turnovers into points. But anyway, you know, the big, I guess it's the basic level for this game. Bradley Beal remained in a, made in attack mode. Markeith Morris followed that up. Another rough night for Otto Porter, though. He was one for eight at Portland. He followed that up with a two for nine here against, uh, Phoenix. You know, I, I, you know, whatever. Whether, whether this leads to people saying he can't score that John Wall or not. Whatever. I mean, he just missed some shots and, you know, that's not, not, not giving him a pass for missing the shots, but he did miss <coughs> some shots. Uh, for sure. I thought some Kelly Uber had some nice hustle. Not, not a, only three for nine from the field, but two for three from deep. Seven rebounds, three assists, got on the ground a couple times to get the ball out, uh, to, uh, to, to come up with some loose ball plays. But I guess what, what I'm mostly excited to talk about, a couple things that involve one involves the bench and one involves uh, a rotation change, perhaps. First, let's get to the bench. You know, we keep going, we keep getting here, right? I mean, where the bench is the one, is, is the unit that's playing better than the starters. And that's happened throughout this seven-game stretch without John Wall. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, the... The starters have been up and down, right? And that's, and that's, uh, it's not good, but I'm just saying that they've been up and down. They're still the, you know, they're still your best players. Let's not get, let's not get this twisted. By the way, the Wizards are now four and three in in this stretch without John Wall, who I guess let me also just make make a quick note. According to the pregame shows, uh, he was doing some shooting with the Wizards. Uh, today, it doesn't look like he actually went through a formal practice or a formal shoot around, but he was out on the court doing some drills with the coaches. You, if you saw him, if you follow my Twitter feed, 
the other day before they went out of town, I watched him do some, uh, some, some dribbling and some passing drills, but this time he was out there actually doing some shooting on that knee. Uh, still no word from the wizard when he'll be back officially, but it's, you know, it would appear that he's getting, um, closer, which is obviously good. If, if the two week time frame was, uh, to be accurate, then he might have been back for Saturday's game against the Clippers or, you know, maybe at least by the Nets game. The Nets game is on Tuesday. We'll see if, you know, if, if the, you know, there's no real point in rushing him back. Well, there's no real point in rushing him back, period. All, the fact that the Clippers are beat up and have lost four in a row, you know, only adds to that point. And then you have the Nets who this, they're not, this isn't the laughing stock Nets, but nonetheless, they're still not a good team. So, you know, you could conceivably wait for Wall to get back all the way until December 13th. They have a back-to-back next week, the 12th at Brooklyn, then the 13th home against the Grizzlies. So you could wait for that. But in any event, we'll see about what we get more about John Wall. Um, but the bench, look, I mean, what else can you, what, what else can I say? With Sadoransky on the bench, with that five, that five-man unit, meaning him, Jody Meeks, Kelly Oubre, Mike Scott, Jan Mahimi. It's worked well. They put 11 minutes in this game against Phoenix. And then their net rating was a plus 39.4. Uh, the starters in 20 minutes were like a minus 15. And if you look it up over the course of these seven-game stretch. Now, in those seven games, six times Scott Brooks used that all-bench lineup with those five particular players. And in that stretch, they are a plus 23.9 in 49 minutes. You know, it's a small sample size in a regular sense, but that's the second most used lineup the Wizards have had in this stretch. Meanwhile, the starting lineup, which has obviously been used in all seven games, in 128 minutes is a minus 2.3. So so these guys are are, are getting it done. Sadoransky continues to sort of be the the, the fuel there. You know, you got, you know I'm almost going to have to come up with some new lines here. But again, with Sadoransky and Ubre being the aggressive sorts, the, the Wizards have, are finally starting to, to get a little bit more of an identity. And also, I, I thought Mike Scott, let, let's give a shout out to Mike Scott. He has been a key figure for sure. He he hasn't missed a shot now in two games, right? He was three for three tonight against Phoenix. And he went, no, my computer's going so he went five for five at Portland, and he also had some nice nice passing tonight. Uh, you know, again, I always, I, maybe I shouldn't do this. I always feel like I need to qualify everything before I, before I overly praise, but, you know, I want to point out some flaws, and, yes, defense is still something of an issue at times. Uh, but nonetheless, Mike Scott contributed uh, nicely. So, uh, you know, look, Scott Brooks has stuck with this five-man unit. Jason Smith has not been playing at all. And, you know, again, we'll see what happens with the point guard spot. I just can't even comprehend how he'd go back to to sitting Sadoransky because it looks like he's going to stay with that, you know, nine or ten man rotation. But we'll see. In any event, like I said, this lineup, it's now a six-game sample size for them. A plus 23.9 net rating in 50 minutes is, you know, the second most used lineup. That's good. And, by the way, their defensive rating is a 95.7. The offensive rating, 119.6. So defensively, they're getting it done. It isn't just like they're 
you know, killing people on offense. You don't look at that group and think, wow, what great defense. And get to getting it done. But it does bring me to my last point. That is, Jan Mahimi was the guy primarily, he was the big man on the court late. That is until he fouled out. Um, there's a little bit of a punchline there for sure. But Mahimi was effective tonight. He had, he had eight rebounds. He had a bunch of those early in the first half. He had four offensive. He was active defensively, uh, a, a few different times. Or at least he stood out defensively with his activity, I should say, on a few different occasions. And what, you know, Scott Brooks was using him late in the game along with Sadoransky to, to go with Beal and Morris and, and Otto. And when I watch, and it's definitely a rare time he's used Mahimi over Gortat late. Gortat did come in when Mahimi fouled out. But what, what it says to me is basically this, that Look, I get the frustration with Mahimi. Obviously, you've heard me talk about this now a bunch of times. You've heard me say, why does Jan Mahimi get to play all the time when others uh, others in that front court do not? But we've all, and I'm probably guilty of this at least a little bit, but we've all pushed the narrative of that Jason Smith needs to play over Mahimi, I think, way too far in this respect. What we saw from Jan Mahimi tonight, the rebound, rebounding the defense, that can be a difference maker. What Jason Smith provides can be helpful but ultimately, it is not going to be the thing that really pushes the Wizards over the top against any real teams in the East. Don't, don't, again, don't, uh, my new favorite term, don't get that twisted. I'm not saying Jan Mahimi is all of a sudden going to be challenging Andre Drummond or anything. But what I am saying is that if, if Jan Mahimi can be right, if he can make these kinds of plays tonight, what that provides the Wizards is a much bigger impact ultimately than, 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 than what I think people realize. And what I think is that it never made sense why Scott Brooks wanted, or, or I shouldn't say Scott Brooks, but why the Wizards themselves wanted Gortat, uh, wanted Mahimi if they had Gortat or if they couldn't get rid of Gortat, however you want to look at that, because they play the same position and all that. But I've always thought that the, the vision on some level was you have these excellent perimeter players, but you know you don't have a presence in the middle. And Jan Mahimi, when he's right, can be something of a presence. He also had two steals tonight. Uh, in 25 minutes, Gortat played 23 minutes. I think if Scott Brooks had his way, if Mahimi can remain active, I, I think Mahimi could be the guy who's playing the last five, six minutes of games. Uh, I'm not even saying that's a wrong take. I mean, obviously he's going to be a liability offensively, but if you can get enough firepower out of the other four guys... And he can be a, not just a tall guy standing there with his arms up, but an actual difference maker, you know, in, in those capacity, in that capacity. I can see Scott Brooks sticking with that. I'm not saying that's going to happen starting, uh, Saturday against the Clippers. Just think, let's just take note of it. It happened tonight. He stayed with it. I'll be curious to see what happens going forward, but a lot of it depends on Mahimi. He's, he's been active at times in some recent games, but then at other points, you know, he's, he's looked, uh, like a guy that we've all been frustrated with. For most of this year. In any event, uh, good stuff out of Jan Mahimi. And of course, if Jan Mahimi could play at this level, which again, I'm not saying is a great level, but an active level, an effective level, it brings up the question of do the Wizards actually need to make a deal? Do, do, do they actually, can we put to bed this DeAndre Jordan talk? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but that's what I talked about right now on this year podcast where I recorded this earlier, as I said. Here are some thoughts I had on what ESPN had to say about uh, a, a rumor, they, a proposed trade that they, they came up with that involves DeAndre Jordan going to the Wizards. 
The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so as I said earlier, I recorded this part of the podcast before the game. Uh, Presumably, if you're hearing this, then nothing crazy happened to change uh, this segment. And this segment, well, you know, what the heck, let's get into some trade talk. We've talked a little bit already here on this podcast about the idea of the Wizards acquiring Andre uh, DeAndre Jordan from the Clippers. Uh, I, I'm not putting any faith in any of the actual quote-unquote rumors that have been out there by, you know, less than credible sources. Or I say less than credible. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. I just mean I don't know them. So um, no, none of the national folks have come out and flat out said that the Wizards are inter- interested in DeAndre Jordan. We understand why they might be. They're talking about an athletic center who's a true difference maker in the paint when it, especially when it comes to uh, defense shot blocking rebounding not much of an offensive threat but hey if he can get catch those lobs from John Wall which is what he did for years with, with Chris Paul then that certainly would work and the reason why DeAndre Jordan could be made available the Clippers are in big trouble uh, Blake Griffin injury the Wizards of course will see DeAndre Jordan and the Clippers on Saturday but the Clippers are going the wrong way, and the Wizards, um, you know, could use more help in that spot. I don't think there's really too much question about it. Marching Gortat does a lot of good things. You know, we all know about the screen assists. He's typically very good on the boards. Um, you know, he and John Wall have have a good uh, connection on those pick and rolls. But you know, he's look, he's not a, he's not a stout defender, especially around the rim. And, um, you know, he's not a difference maker in that respect. There's there's definitely some pluses and minuses between the two, and we'll get into that in here in just a second. But this was the trade thrown up on ESPN today. They did a they, – they, they had four of their writers come up with a trade each, it looks like, involving DeAndre Jordan. This what this article is behind their paywall, by the way, but, you know, I'll just tell you. The, I'll, I'll tell you some of it. Shh, don't tell them. The, the deal, as they construct it, works like this. The Wizards would get DeAndre Jordan – and forward Bryce Johnson in exchange for Martin Gortat, Kelly Oubre Jr., Tomas Sadoransky, and Sheldon Mack. Now, they didn't mention here using the trade machine. I assume they figured this out, though, and that's why I say, like, a Sheldon Mack is included to make the salaries work, something along those lines. Um, And look, you can read if you do have the ins- do you have the insider. You can read some of the rationale. I'll just jump into a couple of quick things here. Uh, talking about Jordan, it says here a 29 year old, six foot eleven spring who can protect the rim, gobble lobs, and clean up the glass, and whose dur- durability is second only to that of LeBron James, might be the missing piece to their nucleus, meaning the Wizards. Washington would feel confident about being able to re-sign Jordan as well, given Wall's court vision and the potential for the most electric pick-and-roll lobs since Chris Paul, Tyson Chandler in New Orleans. Now, let's just hold up there for, for a little bit, for a second. First of all, durability, 
Martin Gortat doesn't miss any games. So just at a base level, not questioning Jordan's, I'm just saying at a base level, there's no real issue there. It's not like Gortat is, a, is an injury prone player and that's what the, that's the issue. The 29 year old six foot 11 spring who can protect the rim, get lobs, clean up the glass. That would be nice. Uh, I, I won't argue with, 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 with that. I mean, it, it, you know, if you, if you put him in there when, when LeBron scored 57 points against the Wizards earlier, earlier this year, the part of the re- reason was beyond how good LeBron is. One, you didn't have Marquise Morris in that game. So the Wizards essentially had nobody. Well, actually, I take that back. They had Morris, right? But he was, uh, not even close to being, um, 100%. He'd just come back from his injury, right? I think, I think that's right. Um, but also, you know, so, so they didn't have anybody on the wing who could give him any type of real resistance. And then beyond that, you know, the Wizards just don't have a guy down the middle of the paint that another team is thinking, oh, if I try to go down this, go down this, uh, for a drive, this will be waiting for me on the other end. That, that's not, um, that's not a thing that's going on right now in Washington. The hope would be Jan Mahimi would give you some of that. That's not happening. Yeah. He played 14 minutes, of course, in that game. Um, hardly close to being himself. We're talking about now how, how healthy is Marquise Morris. He certainly wasn't a hundred percent then. So DeAndre Jordan would give you that piece. Okay. There's no, there's no doubt about that. He would give you the guy that the LeBrons of the world, you know, the Kyries of the world would at least have to think twice about before they make some foray down the lane. So that, so that in and of itself would be a good thing. Now, the other part here, Washington would feel likely, Washington would likely feel confident about being able to re-sign Jordan as well. Dot, dot, dot. Now, DeAndre Jordan technically has a two-year contract. The assumption is that he will opt out of the final year, however, and get another long-term deal, which makes sense. It's meant to 29, so 30 is right around the corner. And, you know, he's playing a position that's not exactly where the, you know, the league isn't trending towards centers. So, you know, he's got to take advantage of where he is now. So he likely will opt out. I mean, I say likely, I would assume it's like 90% he opts out. Could he go the Chris Paul route with his former teammate and stay on the deal, which Paul did with Houston to, to hopefully, you know, win a title, contend for a title? Sure, anything is possible. I, I don't want, you know, I don't know about DeAndre Jordan's relationship with John Wall. I don't even know if that really even matters. I know people make a big deal about that. In, in other cases, with Boogie Cousins, the most obvious example, but I, I have no idea if that would matter or whatever. Even if the even if the Wizards got DeAndre Jordan, even if the Wizards made the Eastern Conference Final, who knows? If they made the NBA Final, I guess you could say, hey, look, we got you know, even if they lost to Golden State hypothetically, hey, we got this far, and he's you know, he's, you know wait wait till next year. So who knows? But I highly would doubt it. I wouldn't I wouldn't make any trades if I'm the Wizards based on as this writer says. Would feel would likely feel comfortable. I wouldn't likely feel comfortable at all. I would hope the Wizards wouldn't make any moves feeling likely comfortable either. Now, the with regards to uh, let's get to the next um, piece here with regards to. So he talks about here about how Ubre and Sadoransky would would present uh, quote would present intriguing options for a Clippers franchise that has been anemic at identifying wing talent and Gortat. Could be an asset to be flipped again this season. Okay, fine. Um, again, that's not necessarily relevant to the Wizards, but in terms of would the, would this be attractive to the Clippers? Perhaps. But here's what's interesting about that aspect of it. That means that the Wizards have two young pieces that another two would be interested in. 
I mean, forget Wall, Beal, and Otto Porter, assuming to some degree those guys are untradeable, both in terms of the need and, you know, maybe the contracts or whatever, but Oubre and Sadoransky, the, if the presentation of this is that these are the centerpieces, right? Gortat, fine, they could flip him, but he's primarily there to make the, the contracts work. Whatever the whatever the Clippers could flip him for, I don't you know. May, I, I don't know what I, I I don't know. I mean, maybe could they get the Bogdanovich deal that the Wizards had a, a late first round pick? Maybe I doubt it, just based on the way the league is going. But maybe I mean, Gortat can help somebody. But the real key for the Clippers here is getting Ubre and Sadoransky, according to what the way you would look at this trade. And I just think that's important to note because again, we talk constantly about how the Wizards don't have enough. Um, you know, they don't have enough young pieces. And you've heard me now talk about this with Sadoransky. I mean, the Ubre part has been more obvious, and he's been, you know, solid this season. Um, and he, we see the potential more and more as he continues to look more and more comfortable on the court. But with Sadoransky, you know, if this is real, if this six-game stretch or whatever it is now translates into 10 games, into 20 games, and he is truly a weapon as a as a backup point guard who can help that second unit as he did again against Portland and he played minutes down late in the game against Portland if he can be a help to this team get that second unit going he's under a nice contract i just think this is something to know regardless of this trade the wizards it would be viewed that they've got some pieces that's that's interesting in and of itself even if even if this trade, let's just say this trade doesn't work, and I'll give you my my final analysis in a moment. Even if this trade is an, is is no go, the fact that DeAndre, the fact that they are mentioned in here at all, shows that they're that the Wizards perhaps have some assets for something else that maybe, in my opinion, would work a little bit better. Uh, so we'll see. In any event, lastly, and this is perhaps the most important part of this. Well, there's two things here. For one, the author writes, for this trade to work, Jordan would have to waive his 15% trade bonus valued at 2.4 million. That's not nothing. Uh, obviously, I would say, I mean, of course, if the Clippers continue down this current path of being in the lottery and the Wizards are, you know, looking like a contender in the East, then obviously Jordan would have to waive that aspect. Playoffs, no playoffs. I would also think, again, I could be wrong, if you're going to waive 2.4 million, your thought is, well, I'm going to be, I'm about to get a new four-year, five-year contract in a minute anyway, so no biggie. Just keep that in mind. Lastly, it says here, quote, so the Wizards would be in t- would be obtaining an all-star in Jordan, but at a high cost. The Wizards' tax bill would increase from $8.9 million to $17.7 million. Well, I'd like to see the convert, I'd like to see the, uh, the Ted Leonsis' face when presented with that scenario. And so here's what we're looking at here for the for the Wizards. So that's about a what a nine million dollar bill that that they would get for this making this trade. But what would it actually look like now? So you'd have DeAndre Jordan at center, okay? So he's out. So Gortat's out. DeAndre Jordan is in. We're keeping the rest of the starting five intact. So based on that, the Wizards are a better team just off of that, right? DeAndre Jordan covers up some defensive concerns. The, again, the LeBrons of the world won't be able to push him around. You know, uh, you know, if the, if the Wizards were to somehow meet a Detroit in the playoffs, I mean, DeAndre Jordan is Andre Drummond. You know, the, the, the you know that I mean, Drummond had you know, a ton of rebounds in the last game here. DeAndre Jordan, you know, at, at worst case, that's a push. 
and maybe the Wizards get the better end of that at some point. Certainly, there'd be a lot of hack of hack of but hack of Jordan and hack of Drummond going on. That's for sure. Um, but but then you look at the bench part, right? Okay, so now you get him, and you lose Kelly Oubre, who is currently if you if, if Brooks is going to go with sort of a um, you know, all bench unit. He's been the current leader of the of the second unit, right? So now, now who who is that? Now you're looking at, and also you're giving up Sadoransky, right? Who has now emerged as, as something interesting with the point guard spot. So okay, hypothetically, Tim Frazier would just continue to serve, you know, the role he had pre Wall's injury as the as the point guard of the second unit. But now you don't have Ubre. Um, I wouldn't not make a deal. For Kelly Oubre, I mean, I would not not do it because you're losing Kelly Oubre. I mean, what you're really talking about is about, what, 25, 27 minutes a game. You're also talking about a young player who's on a very nice contract. But the Wizards, after the following season, you know, they're going to have some decisions to make about what to do with him. Do they sign him to an extension? Do they let him test uh, free agency? You know, they're willing to go down that route. Who knows? Um So, so now your second unit is, in essence, Mike Scott. I mean, I, I don't know what the Wizards would be giving up. Forget the Sheldon Mack part of it. They would be giving up an extra player. So presumably they would go out and pick up a street free agent. So whatever that guy would be, we'll skip that for the moment. In essence, their second unit would be some combination of Mike Scott, Jason Smith, Jan Mahimi, Jody Meeks, Tim Frazier. Is that... Worse than the current look that ha- includes Ubre and Sadoransky? I think the answer would be clearly yes. And not just in, worse in terms of the, the individual talent. I mean, you're taking away a lot of athleticism. Ubre is easily the most athletic guy, and Sadoransky gives you a lot of that as well. So to me, that is not terribly attractive. But again, you're getting DeAndre Jordan. Now, let's not forget the other player mentioned in this article, and that would be Bryce Johnson. Because when I first heard this trade, my initial thought was, well, actually, let me say this. When, I, when I've heard of trades involving Ubre, you know, my thinking is, look, I'm willing, I'd be willing to consider trading him, but you're giving away one of your young op- players, a guy with a really good contract, and when you don't have a lot of cap space, you can't just willy-nilly give that kind of a guy up. But when I heard Bryce Johnson, my thought was, oh, wait a minute. We're talking about, what was he, the 25th pick in the 2016 NBA draft? He's 23. That's a young player. He's got actually a, just in terms of years, He's got a better contract than Kelly Oubre. Okay, what's what's the deal there? Well, all right, then you do some you know some quick uh, research on the on the interwebs. He missed most of his rookie year with a herniated disc in his back. He hasn't been playing much this year, and that's even after Blake Griffin suffered his uh, injury that's taken him out of the lineup for a bit. Now, unless I'm missing something with Bryce Johnson, I think he's back healthy. He's been I think he's bounced back a little back and forth with their G League team. But the point would be he's not made an impact at all on the NBA level, regardless of what somebody might think of him down the line. That hasn't happened yet here. So, you put all that together and while it would be good to get back a young player, you know, I I I don't want to say he's kind of where I view Chris McCullough, which is like a total project, but it Based on what he's played, which is nothing, it would be hard to view otherwise. He's literally played 10 games in, in two years. So that part of it ultimately doesn't – I mean, yes, you get back a young player, but that's not that exciting when he hasn't done much. It's sort of like when the Wizards got McCullough 
And you're like, well, hey, even if Bogdanovich leaves, you get this thing. So even if DeAndre Jordan leaves, you'd have Bryce Johnson. That's not going to sway it for me. So it basically comes down to this. Is DeAndre Jordan, whatever you're going to get out of him, you know, if you make the deal at the trading deadline, you're talking about 20, 25 games, somewhere in that range. The trading deadline has moved up this year. If that's the case, do I want Bryce? Is is that enough? If DeAndre Jordan leaves at the end of the year and I get 20-odd games during the regular season and whatever happens in the playoffs, is that enough if he leaves to give up Kelly Oubre, Sadoransky in particular, along with, you know, Martin Gortat? They still have him under contract for next year. Oh, by the way, I haven't mentioned Deion Mahimi in any of this. I'm just going off of what the trade was offered. I, I, if, if the Clippers were – they might be willing to take Mahimi in a trade, but – I doubt it would probably have to be more than this. You probably have to include picks or whatever, and we're just going to go off of this rumor. So, so or this this idea. So the question is, would I do this? And you know, if you haven't guessed by my tone by now, the answer is probably not. Uh, I say probably not for a couple reasons. One, I I understand why DeAndre Jordan is considered to be very good, right? I mean, we're talking about a guy who has uh, he he you know he's currently averaging fourteen point two rebounds. He's he's currently leading the NBA in effective field goal percentage at 68.6%. He is a presence defensively. But you know what? Let's note some other things here. He's only averaging 1.1 block shots a game. That's not that exciting, right? Um, last year he was at 1.7. So you know, he, he he was over two at least 2.2 for three straight years, but then 1.7 and 1.1. You know, his, and then, and then of course there's the obvious, the free throw percentage. You know, he's actually up this year, but it's up to 59%. There's still going to be teams who win the playoffs, so would surely do what the Wizards just did to Ben Simmons and foul him. And, you know, do you have to make that decision? Is he worth keeping on the court or not? If you can force him off the court, well then where are the Wizards going? Right? At that point, your backup center is Jan Mahimi, which is obviously not even no better in, 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 in that realm, let alone the other ways. So if you keep Jordan on the court, you're dealing with that aspect of it. You could go smaller with Marquise Morris, but that's, you know, a whole other issue. So, so there's that aspect of it all. And then, of course, like I said, it comes down to what does your bench look like? To me, the bench is going to look a lot worse. It is too early in the Sadoransky situation to say definitively what, if this run is real. Again, I've liked him before, back before he even showed up here. All right, you definitely like what I see now. Uber is making strides. It's not that I wouldn't trade them. I just think when I put it all together, I just don't think I would make this move. And then factor in, like I said, the tax bill that's going to cost the Wizards another $9 million. It's not my money. I just don't see the Wizards falling on it for that. I do wonder if this is if the Wizards do have to consider adding more money to the tax bill because this might be their best year to really make a run when you consider what Philadelphia has, is is looking like. Uh, maybe where Milwaukee's coming with, with Giannis and others. So something to consider there that maybe this is the year to make a run. I just wouldn't do it for this. Last point, I think that, if again, if the Sadoransky part is real, Ubre can keep this up, that gives you, along with the starting five, seven players you have to feel pretty good about. Mike Scott is looking like an eighth. And, you know, ultimately, if if you can figure out a smaller move, to maybe add a big man that you can sort of replace Mahimi with. Forget trading Mahimi. I understand everybody's obsessed with that. It's going to be very difficult to do, and you don't want to, you know, if you want to give away your first-round pick for, like they did last year with Nicholson, I guess we'll see, but I suspect it would cost the Wizards even more than that, 
And that's the getting back. They got back a good player in Bogdanovich. It might just cost you a first just to get rid of Mahimi for, I don't even know what you could get back because it's a lot of money the salaries have to match. So ultimately, I wouldn't make this trade. There's a long way of me going around and saying I wouldn't make this trade. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wouldn't. So I wouldn't. All right, that was old Ben. Now we're back to live Ben signing off on this year podcast. Wizards win back at it Saturday, 3.30 East Coast time against the Clippers. And then they come back east uh, on the East Coast to face the Nets on Tuesday. So, uh, rest up, Wizards fans. Uh, enjoy the rest of, uh, well, enjoy your Friday. And we'll be back at it for another Wizards podcast uh, coming up. Until next time, see ya. Neal gets open for three. Dagger! Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.